Do you find yourself saying you're too busy for Bible study? No more excuses. Now there's a way for you to participate in a 30-minute study from your phone, tablet, or computer from anywhere around the world. Aaron Olson of Sandalfeet Ministries teaches lunchtime lessons via Facebook Live every Thursday at 12 p.m. Central Standard Time at facebook.com slash sandalfeet. This podcast is recorded during the Facebook Live event for those who'd like to listen to the teaching again or help out in case you miss a week. So grab your lunch, your Bible, and a notepad before we begin. If you'd like to get Aaron's teaching notes, you can visit sandalfeet.org and click on Books and Bible Studies to see all the available free Bible study material. Hey, thanks for listening today, and we hope you tune in each week for Lunchtime Lessons. Sorry for my delay in getting to you today. Um, we are having some technical difficulties. Facebook apparently just sent out an update to um, the app that runs this live stream. And so uh, we've had a little bit of a delay. And so right now we're broadcasting live from Sandalfeet Ministries. So I hope you're able to find us that way. Um, if not, we will be forwarding this on to live on Lunchtime Lessons in just a moment. Um, somebody is helping me do that, so I'm very thankful for that. This is the second week in a row that we've had technical difficulties, so I'm not sure what it is about this book of Titus, but uh, we have come up against all sorts of opposition, so um, I'm very thankful that I am here now, and I will try to keep in the time constraints um, just to be respectful of your time. I know many of you are joining during your lunch hour, um, and many of you will be tuning in later as well um, when your 30 minutes allows. And so I always want to be respectful of that. There's so much information to get in 30 minutes. I'm now um, super uh, thankful and man, do I have a new reverence and, and, and just all for pastors who have to prepare 30 minute sermons, 45 minute sermons and compact all their message and all their teaching into such a short period of time and how so many do it so eloquently so um, and just so well. You know, they, they make it historically correct and theologically correct and apply it to what's going on today. So um, it's just, it's, it's not that easy to do. Um, so uh, studying the Bible, teaching the Bible, very difficult things to do um, because it's super important. So, um, so today we're in Titus chapter two. Last week we talked a little bit about a brief overview of what Titus, um, who Titus was, where he was, what he was doing, why Paul sent him there, um, and why Paul sent him this letter in Crete. And if you'd like to listen to that, you can go back and, and watch the Facebook Live from last week, or you can tune into my podcast, Sandalfeet Ministries, where podcasts are available and you can listen to that message. Um, because time is short, I'm not gonna go back on that, but. What I am thankful for is Paul is so clear always in his mission and his message. He just doesn't waver, right? He is so succinct in what he is called to do. And, and as we see later in his life, he's realizing that, man, I'm not gonna be around forever. I need to pass on the information that I have, the information that the Holy Spirit has downloaded to me, um, the things I have learned, the things I have done, the things I have seen, and just my love for Jesus and, and the grace that he has given me, I need to pass that on. And we see this in his letters to, to the churches. We see this to Timothy, um, his son in the faith. We see this to Titus. And it's a good reminder for us because a lot of chapter two, verses one to 10 specifically, can be summed up in one simple word. And that word is discipleship. 
And I really think that it's one thing that the church for some reason struggles with. It's like we go to church on Sunday, maybe we go on Wednesday, but we go to church and we just go to church. And we go and we hear from the preacher, the pastor, we learn what the Bible says, we are told how to apply it in our lives, and then we're supposed to live it out. But the pastor of the church could have 50 members, the pastor of the church could have thousands of members, he or she, he can't reach them and, and do life with them himself. I know many would love to, but really they can't. And so who are the people that are to come alongside people to help them live and walk in a godly manner? And that's you and I. We are called to be disciple makers. We are called to be mentors. We are called to walk alongside people in our lives. And that's exactly what Titus 2 does. It explains relationships in the church. Paul breaks it down into six categories of people based on age and sex and, and, and other factors. And, and so um, it's instruction for us. He doesn't waver. People always ask me, I had someone ask me the other night, you know, what's your elevator story? What's your, if someone were standing in an elevator and you had to explain who you are, what you do with your ministry. And it's basically, this is what my Instagram account says, my Twitter account says, it says, I want to help people fall in love or fall more in love with Jesus and be filled with the Holy Spirit. I want them to love Jesus. I want them to know God's word and I want them to live godly lives. That's what I want people to do. And so I want to equip them. I want to encourage them and I want to evangelize. Those are my three E's for my ministry, equip, encourage, and evangelize. And so I want to equip people with the tools. I know not everybody knows the word of God, but it's never too late to start. I want to encourage people. You can fight the good fight. And I want to evangelize. I want to, along the way, I know I'm going to run into people who don't know the Jesus. I want to in, show them who Jesus is and who show them, show them who Jesus can be to them. And so that's my main point. And that's really what Paul's main point is here to Titus. He's like, listen, this is what relationships should look like in the church. Um, this is what the world is going to be looking at. You people, you inside the church, this is what you're supposed to do. So let me pray for us and uh, we'll make sure that devil stays on the outside of this Facebook Live because uh, he has his handprints all over it right now. So let me just pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this time. Lord, I thank you for the people who are joining or who will jo join one day and listen to this message. Father, I thank you that no matter where people are, whether they're sitting at their desks or in their car, um, walking, whatever they might be doing, Lord, that you're there with them. And Father, I pray that as we go through these categories of people, I pray that people realize who they are and who they are to somebody else. And Lord, I pray most importantly that they would receive your grace, but they would also receive your correction where they might need it. Lord, where they would, they, they would receive encouragement where they might need it. Lord, if we're failing in any of these areas that you've called us to do and called us to be, Lord, bring it to our attention so that we can better serve you and glorify you because it's really all about you. What we do and what we say um, is a reflection of you and your word, and we've got to be careful to handle that well. So thank you for trusting us with this, Lord. Thank you for giving us grace, and thank you for this time, and thank you, Lord, that you let this Facebook Live go live. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so at the outside of Titus 2, I just kind of briefly told you what it was about, right? He said there's these two words in there, PsyD, and they occur five times in the pastoral letters. And they basically mean, um, they mean, but as for you. So Paul's saying, listen, 
this is what's going on. Remember, he's talking about these false teachers. So he's saying, this is what's going on. But as for you, Titus, but as for you, Timothy, I want you to do this. You are not to be like them at all. And he gives them clear instructions on how not to be like them. He doesn't leave them in the dark. He doesn't say, just don't look like them. Don't look like the world. Don't act like them. He says, don't do it, but instead look like this. And that should give us comfort. Um, he talks a lot about sound doctrine. Sound doctrine to means, means to be healthy as opposed to the false doctrine, which means to be sick. So we want to, to give health. We want to give life to people. Um, false doctrine brings death and sickness and just complete yuck, basically. If I'm using just simple terms, it's just yuck. And so we want healthy churches, and we can only have healthy churches where sound doctrine is prevailing. Um, so pastors are basically, Paul was telling Titus that you need to not only teach truth in accordance with sound doctrine, but you also need to teach practical duties. It's considered a double ministry, and we have that same charge today. So we need to teach both doctrine and ethics. We need to teach them in relation to each other and how they fit. And we also need to relate duty to doctrine, not in general principles, but in detailed applications. So it's important. This is what sound doctrine is. This is what it looks like. This is how you should apply it. This is what you should do. So as I said, these first 10 verses are basically about discipleship. The first group he goes after are older men. So let us read. As for you, Titus, remember, but as for you, Titus, promote the kind of living that reflects wholesome teaching. In verse 2, he talks about the first category. Teach the older men to exercise self-control, to be worthy of respect, and to live wisely. They must have sound faith and be filled with love and patience. The next section talks about the next group of people. Similarly, teach the older women to live in a way that honors God. They must not slander others or be heavy drinkers. Instead, they should teach others what is good. These older women must train the younger women to love their husbands and their children, to live wisely and be pure, to work in their homes, to do good, and to be submissive to their husbands. Then they will not bring shame on the word of God. And then same way, the next group of people encourage the young men to live wisely. And you yourself must be an example to them by doing good works of every kind. Let everything you do reflect the integrity and seriousness of your teaching. Teach the truth so that your teaching can't be criticized. Then those who oppose us will be ashamed and have nothing bad to say about us. The next group. Slaves must always obey their masters and do their best to please them. They must not talk back or steal, but must show themselves to be entirely trustworthy. And good. Then they will make the teaching about God our Savior attractive in every way. I forgot one group in there. It was to Titus himself. So let's break those down. What does it say? In, in verse 2, he's talking about older men. He gives them two exhortations. He says, dignity and maturity. And what does dignity mean? Dignity basically means worthy of respect and self-control. Um, do, what do people think of you? How are you living your lives? And what do people think? Are you self-controlled in your manner? Um, maturity means in faith, you trust God. You know who God is. You know who God is to you. You believe in him. You trust in him. Um, in love, how do you serve others? Um, and then in endurance, patient in the hope, patient in the waiting. Um, the men in Crete, and specifically the false teachers, remember, we learned this back in chapter one, were liars. That's what Cretans were known for. Um, so basically they were lazy and they were liars and they were really out for money. And so their motives were not pure. And 
uh, Paul was telling Titus here to make sure these older men are reminded that they need to have integrity. Um, they need to be dignified. They, he wanted other leaders and Christian leaders in the future, he wanted them to be different. He didn't want them to be skimming off the top like some were, even religious leaders. He wanted them to be pure in motive. Who were they serving? Who were they loving? And how were they doing it? Were they respected in their communities? Um, the next group of people he talks about in verses 3 to the beginning of 4, he talks about older women. I came across this in something that I read, and it was quite interesting. Um, Elizabeth Elliot, she was the wife of a missionary, she wrote an article entitled, Where Are All the W-O-T-T-S's? Um, basically, she learned that after speaking to a group of pastor's wives, she learned that about 80% of those wives were working outside of the home. And then she just wondered, where are the godly older women who are to teach young mothers how to manage their children's and homes? Where are the W-O-T-T-S's, the women of Titus 2? Basically, she was saying, okay, so these women, I get it. They've raised their children, these older women. They've raised their children. They have some time on their hands. And now they're working outside the home. Um, is there a better use of their time? What was their motive? Why are they working outside of the home? Is it because they need to support their households or is it because they're trying to fill their time? And Elizabeth, just like Paul is exhorting here, was basically saying, would it be wiser for these older women to utilize their time if they don't need the money, to utilize their time to pour into young women? Is there a lack of older women coming alongside younger women and showing them how to do life? how to raise their families in godly manners, how to love their husbands well, how to do those things. And so basically Titus was to teach the older women. Right now this was his call to teach the older women. And remember this was the early stages of the church, especially this church in Crete, it was still being formed. So Titus was the one in charge of teaching these older women. There wasn't yet a, an older group of women who had died off that now the younger women had become older women and the older women were teaching the younger women. Titus was, told by Paul to teach the younger women, I mean, to teach the older women. So he wanted them, Paul wanted Titus to cover three areas of conduct, reverence in the way they live. They needed to avoid two moral failures. They couldn't be gossips and they couldn't drink a lot. Um, apparently in Crete, alcohol, drinking alcohol was a virtue. And so this is not the first time alcohol is brought up. Um, it's brought up several times in these letters um, to the early churches. And so alcoholism played a factor in the society there. And they were saying, listen, don't, don't drink too much wine. Don't do that because it could cloud your judgment. It could cloud your, your days. And, and obviously you put time into that not to do that. And so um, I would say as a side note, that's my big thing right now. And I wish, you know, when in 1 Timothy, he addresses it too, that men weren't to drink a lot of wine, to be heavy drinkers as well. So here, for some reason, he brings it up to the older women. Um, I wish he had said this for every age group because it's so important. Um, older women, you get bored, you get lonely, please don't drink. Um, younger women, you're stressed out and it's becoming an epidemic. This is a total side note, but um, it's becoming an epidemic. And, and what you should be able to do, younger women, is if you're having a bad day at home, if you're having a bad day with your children, if you're having this, so many women now turn to the happy hour, which is used to be called the witching hour, which is when your children just become just drained for the day. They scream a lot. They might get colicky. They get cranky because they're just worn out and they're tired and you become worn out and tired. And um, instead of putting yourself in a mommy timeout, 
you might take some wine um, or some alcohol or some pills. And I would encourage you not to do this. I would encourage you to uh, be a good example for your families and um, find an older woman, find a friend, find somebody who you can do life with that doesn't encourage you in your hardest moments to take a sip of wine, but instead to turn to them for encouragement, turn to Jesus for comfort, or turn to his word for guidance. Um, it can have a devastating effect if you go down that rabbit trail for too long. Our only source of hope and comfort and peace um, comes from God. And so we need to make sure we're doing that. So this exhortation to older women about not being too drunk on wine, it applies to men, it applies to women, it applies to older men, it applies to younger men and younger women, it applies to all of us. Um, just don't do it. Uh, it. There's nothing good that comes out of it. It only brings destruction. Um, and then the last thing he says to these older women is to teach what is good. Teach what is good in your own family. Remember older women that you still have children, right? They may be adults, but you still have children. You might have grandchildren. Um, teach what is good in your own family. Be that person who is always consistent. Do the right thing. Live a godly life so that your children, your adult children even, are looking at you saying, man, this is what I want to aspire to be. Um, I want to be godly like my mom. I want to be godly like my dad. Or what a legacy my parents left when they died. Um, be an example for your children, your grandchildren, um, your nieces, your nephews, whomever it might be, be that good example. So teach what is good, not only in your own family, but also teach what is good to younger women. Involve God's family, become a spiritual mom to somebody. Um, there's plenty of room in your bandwidth for that. You can take on one, you can take on two, but know that most likely somebody might have poured into you. Um, I know my generation, generations younger than me are losing this, but I can assure you that older women, um, ones that are older than me by maybe um, a decade or two decades or three decades, they know what, you know what I'm talking about. You know that you had people in your lives, you had grandparents that might've been involved, you had um, older women in the church who were there, who were pillars that you could talk to, that you could go to, that weren't too busy doing life that you could go to them and that they were there for you. So be that somebody for somebody else. I know I have many encouragers and spiritual moms in my life, if you will, spiritual parents um, that help me, that they're much older than me, much wiser than me. They've gone through a lot more of life than me and they pour into me. Uh, we meet regularly, we talk, we pray for one another, we talk about what's going on, what my struggles are, what their struggles are. It's it's a relationship and, and it's not, difficult, time-consuming, but it's, it's, it's just out of love and out of friendship and concern. So if you don't have somebody like that in your life, pray about it. Um, whether you're the older woman and you need God to bring somebody into your life, that movie War Room, perfect example, right? She was an older woman who had made some mistakes and she didn't want to, to see somebody else make those same mistakes. So she had prayed and God put somebody like that in her life and um, poured into her and changed the marriage. I know it's a movie, but it's real life. It can happen to anybody. Um, and then younger women, right? Younger women, the next section, you need to be trained by older women how to love your husbands and your children. Now this love is not just the honeymoon love of emotion and all of that, but it's steadfast love. It's covenant love. It's the kind of love that says, I'm going to stay no matter what. I'm going to stay no matter what happens. A love that you can't fall out of, um, but it's a love that learns to love. And Older women sometimes need to remind younger women of that, you know, that sometimes it's just, it's just not all that. It's not all about how your heart feels or 
all the mushiness and gushiness of you know what dating is and that kind of love but it's love that just lingers and it's love that lasts and it, it's the kind of love that you, when you say in your covenants till death do us part in sickness and in health that kind of love and older women are able to remind younger women in a way that sometimes our younger contem our contemporaries might not be able to see it because they're in it as well so if you're talking to a friend who's also in the thick of marriage you know newly married or whatever and they kind of feel the same way as you it's not a good sounding board go find someone who's been married for 20 years 30 years 40 years 50 years sit down with them and have a conversation with them ask them what love is about marriage love that lasts decades um, that's what Paul's telling Titus here to encourage the younger women to be trained by older women to be open younger women be open to learning from older women um, they don't have all the answers, but they've lived a long life. Um, he also encourages younger women to be self-controlled and pure. Be busy at home. Don't neglect your family despite what you feel like you've been called to do. Your first primary, if God has given you a, a spouse, if God has given you children, your first primary ministry is to your family. Um, you can't reach the world if you can't take care of your family. So we need to take care of our families and do it well. And then, as time permits, let us do other things. The reason why I broadcast live from my house is because I'm in a season where God has called me to homeschool my three children. And so I'm here. And for a while when I was homeschooling, I was going to my church and I was teaching, but I was gone from the house for a few hours in the middle of their school day. And I just thought, gosh, God, that's just not, it seems counterintuitive to what you've asked me to do to be home with my children. And so now he's given me this creative way to be able to be involved with people and teach the Bible and, and reach people with God's word. And um, that's what he asked me to do. And this morning I was making breakfast for my husband. I've done two loads of laundry. Um, you know, I've helped one with school, talked to another one about his lack of schoolwork. And, you know, so I'm doing all these mothering things, but I can still do other things as well. But I need to first and foremost be doing what God has called me to do to take care of my family first. And that needs to be my first concern. Um, we also need to be kind and hospitable, younger women. You need to be welcoming to strangers. You need to um, allow people um, in your sphere to come into your home. You know, open up your home to somebody, not necessarily a stranger, stranger, like stranger, danger, stranger, but maybe your spouse has a coworker who's new to town that doesn't have friends, or there's some college people in your church that aren't close to home and they might like a place to do laundry or a place to have a meal once a week or something. Be kind of be hospitable. You have the energy. Um, you can do it. You know, just pull through. And then lastly, be subject to their husbands. Remember, submission, submission means to yield in one's will to the leadership and direction of another. There's no inferiority in submissiveness. Um, masculine headship is God's order. Um, it's not of authority, but it's of responsibility and it's out of love. So a spouse should love his wife well, um, not because he's better than her, but because he loves her. And women, we submit to our husbands because it's God's order. And we yield to that, um, we yield to that direction because it's, it's what God has asked us to do. Similar to how Jesus yielded to God's will uh, when he surrendered his life for us. So why are all these things important? You see, like, why do all these things matter? Well, the Bible says it, right? It says, so no one will malign the word of God. 
He says that we need to do these things. Then they will not bring shame on the word of God is what my translation says. So we do these things. We act this way um, so that when people say they're a Christian, but they're saying that or they're a Christian, but they're they're living like that. Do you see the pictures they're posting on Instagram? Do you see the pictures they're posting on Facebook? Did you hear what they did last week? Um, yes, we are not to gossip, but um, people are watching and people are, are following what you're doing. So if we're, we're not living these wholesome lives, um, these pure lives, trying to do our best to live within these confines of this structure, then we're actually bringing shame on the word of God because we say we love Jesus we're no better than these false teachers who in verse 16, right? They said they knew God, but they lived like they didn't. And so I don't know about you, but I don't want to be a false teacher. Um, I don't want to be a false leader. I don't want to be a false witness. I want to be a good witness for the glory of Christ so that many who see my life will be intrigued by what I have, my joy, my peace, my patience. Okay, I need to work on patience. Um, but my love for others, um, self-control, things like that. I want them to see that as attractive and say, how can I have that? What is it that she has that I don't have? Or maybe she can help me find what I need to find. And they come to me and ask for answers and I can point them right to the word of God. And that's wonderful, right? And the la one of the last sections is, um, there's a few more sections, but young men, be self-controlled in your temper, your tongue, your ambition, um, in all of your sexual urges, right? Self-mastery is obtainable. Otherwise, Paul wouldn't have written it was possible. Remember that self-control, self-mastery can be done. The Holy Spirit, it's a fruit of the Holy Spirit. It can be done, uh, but you have to want to do it. Um, and how do we do that? Uh, we, need, we need to look at examples. Men, I would encourage you if you're listening to, or women, if you have men in your lives who are struggling, ask them, do they have a mentor? Are they in a di discipleship relationship? Do they have an accountability partner? Who is that? Who is that person for them? Men need encouragement. We need incentives, all of us. Um, we need a reward. Like our reward as Christians, our reward is in heaven. So we know that one day we will get to heaven. So our reward for salvation is heaven. Um, in life, we need little wins along the way, you know, and even if it's not a trophy, but it's just a, you're doing such a great job. Just encourage them. Let them know that when they fail, you're there to pick them up. Let them know when that, that when they doing something great let them know that you'll be there for them um, let them know that you're encouraging them that you're praying for them this is what young men need young men need this in their life it's so important that's partly why our fatherless generation is a mess and our poor boys that are growing up without fathers specifically are struggling because they don't have these good examples and Paul told Titus to set the example be that person Paul makes it personal in verses 7 to 8 to Titus he says, um, I can't see that, I'm sorry. He says, and you yourself must be an example to them by doing good works of every kind. Let everything you do reflect it. Let everything you do. So Paul makes it very personal to Titus. And I would say, make it personal to yourself. Who are you in these groups? The next group that he talks about um, is teacher, uh, slaves, I'm sorry. Um, I talked a lot about slaves in 1 Timothy. Uh, chapter 6. So if you missed that session, go back and listen to that on the Facebook Live, or you can also um, listen to it on my podcast. But you can go back and listen to that um, and, and see what I had to say about slaves and what was important about slaves being respectful and honoring. It was because if they were Christian slaves, 
they were doing what they did and it was a witness for their testimony to being a follower of Christ. Um, but Paul says, make it personal, Titus. You be the example. Are you living, are you, you and I, insert your name, are you living the way in which Paul described, described a godly person within your context, whether you're a younger woman, um, an older woman, a young man, an older man, whatever you are, are you living that way? Why or why not? And if yes, way to go. If no, what can you do to correct it today? What's the Holy Spirit telling you that you need to do to correct it today? Um, there's a couple things he talks about, you know, Paul, Titus being the example for churches to follow. And just real quickly, um, teaching was to have three characteristics, okay? So Titus was called to teach this church on how to be the church. He was to set the typos, the prototype or the pattern for churches to come in Crete, but as we know from forever, right? Because we're reading it today. So teaching was to have three characteristics. Integrity, it needed to be uncorrupt with pure motives. Seriousness, manner of teaching, the way in which you deliver it. Soundness of speech that cannot be condemned. Matter is wholesome and true. Richard Baxter said, you cannot break men's hearts by jesting with them. We need to make sure, leaders, that um, you are, are different. You've got to be different. There's one thing to include laughter in, in, in your life. Um, you know, some funny examples if you need to when you're teaching. Um, you know, maybe just to snap people back into attention. But you can't be so not serious that people don't take you serious. The message of the gospel is serious business. It's life or death. If you're not living a godly life or if you're not teaching in a manner that reflects the seriousness of the topic, the seriousness of God's word, that it's not sound in doctrine, then uh, you are hurting people. So you need to be really careful of that. Um, and then lastly, the last few verses there, all the way through 11 to 15, it moves from duty to doctrine. And all of those verses are about the doctrine of grace. Real quickly, it says, For the grace of God has been revealed, bringing salvation to all people, and we are instructed to turn from godless living and sinful pleasures. We should live in this evil world with wisdom, righteousness, and devotion to God, while we look forward with hope to that wonderful day when the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, will be revealed. He gave his life to free us from every kind of sin, to cleanse us, and to make us his very own people, totally committed to doing good deeds. You must teach these things and encourage the believers to do them. You have the authority to correct them when necessary, so don't let anyone disregard what you say. So he's saying, listen, it's all because of grace. Grace changes the way we live. When we realize grace, when we understand grace, it makes us wanna live like God wants us to live. We don't want to live lives of unrepentant sinners anymore. If you've ever been in that darkness, if you've ever lived, um, separate from God, especially as an adult, you know what I'm talking about. If you've lived separate from him, or if you feel like you are living separate from God right now, I can tell you that grace changes everything. His gift, he gave you a gift of grace, grace, for we are all saved by grace through faith. It's a gift from God, is what Ephesians says. It's a gift. Receive that gift. When you receive the gift of grace, Scales fall off your eyes and you see things so differently. You're thankful for the salvation that he offered. You're thankful that salvation is for all people. And it motivates you. Um, it motivates you to live differently. Grace appeared in the form of Jesus. 
and his glory will be revealed again one day when he returns. It's a fact. If he appeared once, if he died and rose again and he appeared to others and then ascended into heaven, he is for sure coming back. We just don't know when, but there will be that day. Um, and grace teaches us who is Lord. He is Lord of all. I hope he's your Lord and Savior. And grace teaches us what we should learn, right? We need to know grace. If we're in love with Jesus, we want to learn doctrine. We need to study his word. We need to understand and learn duty. We're submitting to Jesus Christ, submitting to God, the creator of everything. We do it because we want to, not because we have to. And we know that he, his best interest is to take care of us because he loves us. So we learn duty because he wants to protect us. He doesn't want us to fall into harm. Um, we need to learn discernment. We need to be able to understand false doctrine from true doctrine. Uh, we need to know false people from true people. Uh, we need to be able to discern the Holy Spirit in our lives. We need to discern when it's Satan talking or the Holy Spirit talking. What does that look like? Um, and we need to learn dedication. This thing is a, is a long haul. It's not a 30-day fix-it, okay? If, if you live to be 99 years old, you've got a lot of life to live. I have a lot of life to live if I live to be 99. And you've got to learn dedication. This is a marathon, not a sprint. And so how can you live dedicated to the Lord each and every day and dedicated to the mission that he has given each and every one of us to go out and share the gospel, to love God and love people? That's what he asks us to do. And that's how Paul wraps up this second chapter of Titus with that commission. He says, Titus, you have the authority to do this. Jesus says to you, whatever your name is, whoever is listening, Jesus says the same thing to you. You have the authority in you because of the Holy Spirit to teach his word, to teach people what it means to love Jesus, to serve Jesus, to serve others, to love others, to do the right thing. You can do it. And he encourages Titus and he encourages each and every one of us today in the same way. So tune in next week for chapter three. Um, sorry that I started late this week. I hope it doesn't happen if you think about it. Right before noon next week on Thursday at about 11.50, pray that it all works out um, so we can finish up Titus chapter three. Until then, have a wonderful week and be blessed.